electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's here again, the beginning of earnings season, that peculiar moment where companies turn in their midterms and then we grade them. We're a way to do things, don't you think? But that's how the cynical, jaded brokerage business plays it. As usual, Wall Street's negative coming into the reporting period. We keep hearing the earnings will be down 5 to 7% this quarter in aggregate. Now, how do they calculate that? I mean, I wonder if they bother to include J.P. Morgan with a stock that roared more than 7.5% today, in part because it was a big beneficiary from the mini banking crisis. Maybe they thought it would somehow get weaker by osmosis. Of course, the good numbers for the banks weren't enough to push the averages higher. Dow ultimately losing 143 points, S&P declining 0.21%, NASDAQ falling 0.35%, but they did gain near the end. But we're going to find out how wrong these bearish hucksters are. And I think it's going to happen Monday morning, Charles Schwab reports. Now, a few weeks ago, Schwab was somehow put on a bank hit list. With short sellers ganging up on it as the company hobbled by a nasty bond portfolio, never mind that it's a brokerage house with a small banking business, really did sink it. Now, I am by no means looking for a big quarter. That's not right. But I do it. I think that it won't be a terrible washout. Tuesday, Bank of America reports and the setup's tougher after the insanely good numbers we just saw from J.P. Morgan. But again, the consensus is so negative that I bet Bank of America will still end up looking pretty darn impressive. We also hear from Goldman Sachs, more problematic. You got to wonder what kind of numbers they can put up with not much in the way of IPOs and way too much in the way of consumer banking expenses. Hence the open secret with Goldman. They've reported great quarter after great quarter after great quarter. No one seems to care. And that's why that's a big reason why management wanted to get into the less episodic consumer credit business. Although that increasing is starting to look like a big mistake. Either way, Goldman Sachs is a good performer as a business, but a lousy performer as a stock. There's a simple solution to that. You buy back every share you can get your hands on. That's the company, not you. Hey, and then there's Johnson Johnson. Their stock's been held down by the plethora of talc lawsuits. 
But I don't think that's impacted the underlying R&D machine that's often given us double-digit pharma growth. I bet we also hear some firmed-up plans for what that new consumer spinoff will look like. We wandered into J&J Talc Thicket for my travel trust, betting it would be resolved, and the stock would be 40 up and 10 down. So far, though, we've only seen the 10 down. Also on Tuesday, I want to know what Lockheed Martin's saying about the defense budget and the war in Ukraine, which I'm sure they'll be reluctant to address, even as it's key to their numbers. If I were on that conference call, I would want to ask whether Russia will use its newfound air superiority to take the advantage, and if that happens, can Lockheed's weapons be used to stop them? Netflix reports after the close, and we keep hearing about the streaming fatigue that envelops everybody in the industry. I come back and say that Netflix is a hit business, and lately it keeps producing hits, and that makes the service a bargain. And by the way, an even bigger bargain if you're willing to endure commercials. I am not running away from this one. We hear from Morgan Stanley on Wednesday morning, and we need to know if their wealth management business has been impacted by the Silicon Valley Bank blow-up. I know they've courted some of the same clients. I just don't think they chose to be as reckless with their own investing as Silicon Valley Bank was. That's just not like them at all, which is why we own it for the Chapel Trust and expect a very good quarter. Tesla reports after the close, and the market's obsession with Netflix is dwarfed by its idolatry of Tesla. This is one of those stocks where there are so many people waiting to get in if it ever goes down that they just buy it, even on the slightest bit of bad news. I'm betting this time will be no different as Musk pulls it off again and makes the critics look like idiots. Always good to know the lay of the land, isn't it? The other thing about Tesla is it can overshadow anyone and everything on Wednesday, and that's IBM's turn to be overshadowed. Now, here's a stock that's been trading sideways for eight years. I love to hear something that would indicate that the soporific era is finally behind them. Now, we heard from many of the major banks and felt very secure today. But how about Zion's Bank Corp when it reports Wednesday night? This regional bank is frequently mentioned as one of the most endangered thanks to its poorly positioned bond portfolio. Hey, maybe Zion's can put the rumors to rest. I also want to hear from Lamb Research, the gigantic semiconductor capital equipment maker, which, by the way, had to sacrifice $2.5 billion in orders to the People's Republic of China. Now, I have no idea how Lamb will make its quarter, but I do know this. I know how it's going to make its year by delivering the most indispensable capital equipment in the entire chip industry. Speaking of the semiconductors, if we really want to know about supply and demand, we're going to get it from Taiwan Semiconductor, the biggest foundry in the world. When it reports Thursday morning, I think we'll hear more tales of woe than we like. Now, we need to keep an eye on housing. Last night on MAD, we heard from Lennar, which told a strong story despite the Fed's rate hikes. I want to know what D.R. Horton, the largest home builder in the country, has to say. Housing prices continue to bedevil the Fed, and I bet Horton will tell us that business remains on fire. Similarly, AutoNation will tell us how autos are doing, and again, I wouldn't be surprised to hear if their story is better than expected, just like CarMax was on Tuesday, and not what the Fed wants to see or hear. I like Union Pacific. All aboard! And I want to hear about the different cargoes, as UMP always gives you terrific granularity about how businesses are doing within their pastiche. We also need to know about a new CEO. They owe us that because the whole process by which they're parting ways with current CEO Lance Fritz, it makes me a little queasy. I don't know about you. I mean, what really happened here? I have no idea. We get results from Nucor, too. Even though it's our nation's biggest and best steelmaker, I worry that there could be a further number cut from when they pre-announced not that long ago. That said, I believe Nucor will be a huge winner from all the federal infrastructure spending that's on its way. So I'd be a buyer of the stock, not a seller, after what we call the print. Finally, on Friday, we hear from Procter & Gamble. I think the Cincinnati Consumer Package Good Giant is now making 
tailwinds out of headwinds in so many different currents. Plastics, the dollar, supply chains, advertising, even surfactants. Many people I met at a Mezcal bottle signing in Florida were skeptical not that long ago. I'm doing another one this weekend. I'll keep pounding the table on Procter. I don't think anyone's going to listen, though. It'll be the same. There's one reason. There's a reason we own this one for the Chapel Trust, though. Come on, club members, get on the case. This company is inexpensive versus historical growth rate. SLB reports, too, used to be Schlumberger. I bet they'll talk about how they still have many years of oil service projects ahead of them, even with crude down here in the low 80s. Halliburton told us the same, which is why it's such a big position for the trust. I like them both. Bottom line, as earnings season gets into full swing next week, I actually think we're going to be pleasantly surprised, if only because Wall Street, once again, is so darn negative. Nico in Illinois. Nico. Oh, Jimmy Chill, a big booyah from Chicago for you. Oh, man, the chill says hi. What's happening? Well, I'm just wondering about Eli Lilly. Um, Is this a good buy level? Okay, Eli Lilly did hit a high this week. We wanted to come in. The market is still overbought, by the way, um, on the SP oscillator, starting to come down a little bit. But I don't see any reason why you have to pay 374. You might be able to get this one at 360, but it is a big position for us uh, in the trust. How about we go to Tan, Illinois? Tan. Yeah. Ian, I'm Ian. sorry, Ian in Illinois. Ian. Hi, Jimmy. How you doing, buddy? Happy Friday. The chill man is ready for Friday. I'm trying to see if I can do some work tonight, but my wife insists on going out. Uh, I think you should join her. You need a little fun in your life. All right. Listen, my uh, listen. My friends made fun of me for this stock pick last year, but I caught a double already after they recently updated guidance with better than expected same store sales growth, and they gave a positive report on franchise growth. I see this one as the future Chipotle of sandwiches. Do I have a long-term winner with Potbelly? All right, I can't believe this, Papa. I have to tell you, I thought that it meant that you would get a pot belly if you if you bought a sandwich from there. It's actually the sandwiches are great. I measure the calories; they're really good. You're absolutely right. This is a nine dollar stock that is snuck up on people. And by the way, I mean pot belly is it's just darn tasty. It's the only sandwich I eat. Otherwise, I eat a salad. How about that for a little too much information? Wall Street is awfully negative heading into earnings season, which could set us up for some big upside surprises. Well, man, today, I'm getting a read on the energy space with the CEO of none other than Devon Energy. Then with the earnings season kicking off, we're going to play Am I Diversified? Find out if your portfolio has what it takes to perform amid the uncertainty that we're expecting. And we're getting an update on the chip sack from none other than Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Just over two years ago, Devon Energy revolutionized the oil and gas industry when it rolled out its fixed plus variable dividend structure. Within months, many others followed in their footsteps. When oil and gas was going higher, it was an incredible deal for shareholders. But ever since oil and gas peaked last summer, these stocks have been under pressure, as everybody intuitively knows that the payouts are coming down. Of course, even at lower levels, they're still very generous. If you annualize Devin's latest dividend, it still works out to a 6.4% yield. However, Wall Street has a real aversion to anything that looks like a dividend cut, even if it's by design. So what do we do with something like Devon now? Full disclosure, we fully sold out of our position in Devon for the Chapel Trust earlier this month. at a big gain, mostly because we wanted to consolidate our energy holdings into smaller groups of stocks, including, fortunately, Pioneer. There's still a lot to like here, though, especially management. So uh, if you think energy prices can hang in there or go higher, this might be a good stock. Earlier today, we got a chance to speak with Rick Moncrief. He's the president and CEO of Devon Energy, who was willing to come on, even though he knew we had gotten incrementally more negative. That's always worth listening to. So take a look. Rick, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, good morning. How are you, Jim? I am good. Now, I want to ask you, we are at an interesting juncture. Uh, Some people are saying that the renaissance of American oil is peaking. It's not going to grow that much after that much. You have seen a we were early in seeing what was going to happen. Where do you see Devin in that particular mix of perhaps that we are peaking or people just being too bearish? And there's a lot of growth ahead. Well, I think I think people are being a little uh, bearish, to be honest with you, Jim. But uh, I do think that you're seeing U.S. production when you have all these factors. Uh, price is certainly a, a big factor, but also the discipline being employed by U.S. producers all the way from the uh, integrators all the way down to the small independents. Uh, I believe that you're going to see uh, a stabilizing of, of uh, oil production as far as growth produced volumes here in the in this in the country. 
Now, you did talk about in this quarter, I'm looking at the truest report, was talking about downside of what's happening at Devon, that you recognize, look, there are real, real costs here and the costs have gone up and there's real inflation and your disciplined style is not going to let you go uh, pedal the metal. It's just not going to happen. Well, that's that's true. And it's the right thing to do is to be disciplined. We're going to stick to that discipline, Jim. It's, it's paid off. That's why Devon has been a top performing uh, company in the S&P 500 since we look, uh, rolled out our uh, disciplined cash return uh, strategy. Uh, the thing I like about our strategy, is it allows us to pay really, really nice dividends. It also uh, allows us to do share repurchases, uh, call debt, pay that down. Uh, but the main thing is we have to stay disciplined and, uh, and stay focused. Now, uh, I run an investment club, and some people told me, you know what, Jim, this idea of the variable dividend, it was great when oil was going up, but suddenly dividends are getting cut. I guess companies aren't doing well. I, I still need to be more education about a variable dividend, doesn't there? I, I think so. I think that is fair, Jim. And, and, but just, just think about it for a moment. If, if, if people will pause and think about just the term variable uh, as prices were going up, you saw those dividends really expand. As prices contracted, as we've seen over the last few months, now it's going the other way. But uh, during that contraction period, you know, that's exactly right. You saw the dividends start to, uh, to diminish somewhat. That was the fundamental thesis of the variable dividend uh, format. Uh, one of the histories, one of the things we've seen in the history of uh, commodity-based business like oil and gas is that at a, at a time when strong prices, that's when people were really, really focused on share repurchases, when they had the real strong cash flows, only to wake up six months, 12 months, two years down the road and say, wow, I wish, wish I'd had some of that cash back because I, mm. I repurchased equity at, a, at a, uh, a higher price. And so that was the, that's been the fundamental thesis around the variable dividend. The beauty of our, our strategy is that we could do all of that. So when we have these dislocations, uh, with the equity, as we have seen over the last uh, uh, last quarter or so, really sets you up nicely to step in and buy those discounted shares. Absolutely. Now, 12 years ago, Rick, you uh, had a helicopter, showed me where no one knew there was oil and you knew. And it made me think that perhaps there's more oil in this country in different places than people realize. You are all over the country with Devin. Are there places that we are just getting started in that are actually real and going to produce real oil for our nation? Well, there are. Uh, I want to give you one example, and that's the Powder River Basin in, up in Wyoming, which we have a 300,000-acre position already in. Uh, just like we've seen in the Bakken, the Eagleford, and now the Permian, it just takes time to get in, get the, the bright minds of our engineers and geoscience experts to get out and just uh, execute on, on these projects. So we're putting a little bit of capital into the, the powder. Uh, we're convinced that companies like ourselves, EOG and Oxy, Continental Resource, some of the, the larger acreage holders uh, will we'll, uh, we'll crack the code on that. There's just a ton of oil uh, resource there in the Powder River Basin. And uh, it, it really just is the same, uh, you know, same source of supply that we've seen these other, same well, kind of source of supplies we've seen these other basins. It's I just, just early. So I we, just learned where yeah. our next field trip is. It's going to be there. Now, we heard this weekend, well, obviously, yeah. uh, uh, stories about Exxon taking a look at, at Pioneer. I know you, all you guys talk. And uh, I, I want to step back for a second and just say, is Exxon saying that it's cheaper to uh, buy than it is to drill in the Permian? 
Well, uh, they may be saying that, but they're also, I would think that the reason they would look at, uh, at, at Pioneer is, just think about it. Exxon is a huge company. Uh, they have to, just to keep their production volumes flat, they, they, spend a, they spend a lot of time. And you have to think about replacing that over time. And so when they look at the inventory, they look at the oily nature of the Permian Basin, it sets up really nicely. And look, it's uh, we have challenges here in the U.S. with our lack of ability to get uh, infrastructure built as, as we'd like, as fast as we'd like. But that pales in comparison to some other parts of the world where you've got such uh, uh, challenging geopolitical uh, situations. So I think Exxon, that team is probably, if they are indeed uh, interested in in Pioneer or or any of the uh, other U.S. Uh, large majors or large independents, I think the majors are going to really have to think about uh, how that how that squares up, and I I, I think uh, it's an attractive option for them. Uh, one last question: When I look at at takeaway, who has oil and who has natural gas liquids, and who can get it to the market? Did you think about this from the beginning? Because it looks like to me that Devon has the most oil that can go to the market of any company in this country. Well, we we do think about it, and we're, and we're matter of fact, if you if you look at our uh, technical teams and our marketing teams, uh, we work very hard on understanding the markets. And when I say understanding the market, it's not reading somebody's white paper or projections. We get our boots on the ground on the Gulf Coast. We understand um, places like that area. We look at some of these inland refineries, and those are those are refineries off the de- the Gulf Coast. So in the upper Midwest, East Coast, all these places. We need to understand how can we get our products to the market, not only today or next month, but five years from now, 10 years from now. So I, I think our team has established a great track record of thinking ahead and, uh, and putting ourselves in a, in a good position. Uh, you know, here, you know, most recently, you're, you've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of talk and a lot of uh, challenges, I, I think, uh, with the Permian Basin, with natural gas takeaway. And, and so if you if you pan back a little bit, uh, Jim, I'll just say that there was a time where I thought that ultimately the, the Permian could produce as much as 12 BCF a day of oh. natural gas, associated gas. We're currently at 16 BCF a day. <laughs> that just tells you that just tells you how strong the Permian is. And so now when you start thinking about ultimately where you're going to where you're going to be, it's going to be well north of 20 BCF, maybe 25, 30 BCF a day. And so we as an industry need to continue uh, to build out infrastructure. And, uh, you know, thank goodness uh, in, a, in, the, in Texas, along the Gulf Coast area, you can do that. It takes time. It takes, takes planning. Uh, but but you can do that. But we can help uh, all of Western Europe. We can save when we if we can start do, doing that amount. Well, I got to tell you, Rick Moncrief, who's the visionary, Devon Energy President and CEO, and a joy to have him on the show. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jim. Have a have a great day. You too. We have money back in. Coming up, survive the unknowns, thrive in any market. Kramer invites you to the game of games. Play. Am I diversified? Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. 
you can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Earnings season has officially kicked off. And with the backdrop of recession and inflation worries, it's more important than ever to know what you own and what it means. And that's why we're playing MI Diversified. This is where you call me, you tell me your top five holdings. I tell you for portfolios diversified enough, maybe you need to mix it up a little. Be sure that you are diversified enough. So first up is a video from Jay in New York. Jay, what do you got for me? Booyah, Jim. Me and baby Joey want to know, is Joey diversified for the long term? Devon Energy, Eli Lilly, Snowflake, Dutch Bros Coffee, and what do you think about a long-term, all-or-nothing spec on First Republic? Thank you, Jim. Oh, man. All right, uh, because I happen to like Joey, I took a like to Joey in that little video, I am going to say I don't care. It's that I'd rather see you in something that if a long term, you know, a stock that just is like of a biotech company that could have something really big. That's too risky, even for Joey. Snowflake. Well, we know the forecast is the forecast. That's Frank Slootman. We think he's terrific. That's a way to be able to rent the web. Lee Lilly. We think that Moderna is going to be the largest drug in history. That's obesity and for diabetes. Devin, we have Rick Milkreef on, and Rick is doing his best to be able to make it so he gives you a 6.4% yield and good growth. And what can I say about the Dutch Bros other than have an annihilator and call me Monday because you won't sleep this weekend. The best new young national chain that I see. I had a national chain of restaurants. Well, it's kiosk. I've got a great tech company. I've got a great pharma company. I've got a fabulous oil company, and I'm willing to have a spec of which I'm blessing, yes, indeed, a biotech. Now, let's head to the phone lines where we're taking a call from none other than Bobby in California. Bobby. Boy, yeah, Jimbo. I got a few stocks I want to see if I'm diversified. Cloudflare, Tesla, Apple, Disney, and Disney, I'm sorry, and NVIDIA. Wow. Let's think about this. Okay. Now, Apple, you have to own it. Don't trade it. By the way, in, in 10 days, they're going to open, uh, I think it's in two stores, uh, one in Mumbai and one in New Delhi. And I think you're going to see lines that are probably going to start this weekend. I'm not kidding. India, here you come, Apple. We're going to own that. Disney, under 100, I think is a great buy. Bob Iger needs to lay out a plan. I think his plan is going to be successful. That's why we own both of those for the charitable trust. Tesla reports next week. I think it's going to be much ado about nothing. It'll be a fine number, no more, no less. NVIDIA is my uh, other own-it-don't-trade-it stock that I've ever had since we started Mad Money. Uh, these are, unfortunately, they do trade together, but because I've said own-it-don't-trade-it, I myself am stuck and going to have to bless both. Cloudflare, uh, as Matthew Prince, it's a terrific company, but it's too much like the others, so we're going to trade out of that, and we're going to put Eli Lilly in. No offense to Matthew, he does a fantastic job. Let's go to Cameron in Florida. Cameron. Hey, Booyah Jim. Just calling for the Booyah. best reggae band in the world. I race in. I got five stocks for you. Uh, Raytheon, RTX, Goldman Sachs, GS, Coca-Cola, KO, NVIDIA, NVDA, and then, of course, GLD. Wow. Very interesting portfolio. 
Very interesting. First of all, I am totally going to bless gold. We had, by the way, a gold royalty trust the other, on the other day that seemed that was spectacular. It's another way to play gold, but the spiders go by to play gold. Gold reports next week. I think it's going to surprise people how good it is because it had a lot of volatility. That's why Goldman excels. Talk about anti-volatility, Coca-Cola, but I like that 3% yield. I think you have a good number. Uh, Raytheon Technologies, that's going to be heavily dependent on uh, raw cost expenses, uh, cost of engineers, and the defense budget. A little, like, little dicey. I think it's got to stay. I wouldn't buy it over 100. And then NVIDIA, once again, own it, don't trade it. So we got a uh, broker. We've got gold, which I love. We've got a consumer packaged good company. And we've got a defense aerospace play. That is just picture. That's just clear as day. Cameron's got game. I like that portfolio. Now let's go all the way to Mandy in New York. Mandy. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Thank you so much for taking my call. My grandson, Eli, and I love your show. He watches it before he goes to bed every night. Thank you so much for helping the little investors like me. Thank you, Mandy. I can't can't wait to help you. Let's go to work. Thank you so much. I have five picks, and I'm very bad in timing the market. No, don't, you're too hard on yourself. Let's take a look at your portfolio before you start hurting yourself on this negativity, Thank you okay? Thank so much. I'm, right. I'm so um, upset. NFE, ELF, Google, Vista, Wells Fargo. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Um, no, 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 no. I, 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 I'm going to have to disagree with your unqualified negativity about yourself. I think you're, I think you're a strong... I think it's a strong rendition of a portfolio. We're going to make no changes, but we like, we like energy. We like tech. Uh, Alphabet, if they were, were to wake up and smell the coffee and realize they need to cut back, it would be a monster good stock. Wells Fargo, we own it for the Chapel Trust. I thought it was unfair. It should have closed at 41 today, not 39. Uh, we have a little too much energy. I, I like New Fortress more than I like Vista. We're going to get rid of Vista. We're going to add Eli Lilly because today is Eli Lilly Day. And Elf, can you believe this thing when uh, uh, Taragamine, when he came on, you, you know, if you remember, Taragamine came on when it was at 15. This stock is now quadrupled, and I like it just as much as ever, even though I am parcel to Estee Lauder. I can't believe we don't have more MI Diversifieds. That is it. I loved all of our players, and I think that, by the way, Mandy had one of the best portfolios of all. So let's stop it with self-deprecation. It's unnecessary. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, a cabinet-level confab with the Secretary of Commerce. Kramer gets a top-down look into the economy. Next. Over the past couple of years, Washington's passed three huge pieces of legislation, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, the Self-Proclaimed Inflation Reduction Act, and the Chips and Science Act. Put it all together, and it represents a massive amount of spending. And we've been watching closely to see when and how that money will be put to work. For example, we know these bills will result in a ton of construction projects, but because the vast majority of construction jobs are held by men, the White House wants to make sure more women are given a chance to get a piece of the pie. In America, everybody should have a shot at, fee- at the federal feeding trough, right? Well, earlier today, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, she is my favorite member of the cabinet because she truly understands the business world, was here in New York City touring the headquarters of non-traditional employment for women. That's a community organization that helps get women into skilled construction, utility, and maintenance trades. Those are three areas where we definitely need more workers. 
After appearance there, we got a chance to speak with the secretary. Take a look. Madam Secretary, half the country has not had a chance to be able to do construction. Tell me why we're here and what you're accomplishing. Because we need to get more women into construction. Thank you for coming here. Of it's a beautiful site downstairs. Women being trained how to be carpenters, electrical workers. They're great at the job, Jim, and we need them. Right now, there's about a million women who work in construction jobs in America. I have launched a new initiative called A Million Women in Construction. We need another million women. How else are we going to build? Well, with all the jobs that you're creating, and they are, they are jobs to build factories, some people feel that we've forgotten to do it. We're not able to do what we want without women doing contracting. I'm not talking about just hammering. you got to hammer, but you got to contract. you got to contract. You have to do it all. You have to contract. It's complicated. It's detail-oriented. Perfect example. Last week, I was in Portland, Oregon. They have a huge semiconductor operation there. They want to build more semiconductors. So the fellow who runs the building trades was there. I said, what's the unemployment rate in the building trades? He said, zero. We're at full employment. Right. I said, well, you've got to find mil uh, thousands of people right. to build a new facility. You better figure out a way to train women and make sure they have child care and they show up on the job, because otherwise we won't, we won't get the job done. All right, so let's talk about the 200 apparent applicants I'm hearing that won in on your CHIPS Act. Describe how that's going to work and what kind of companies you're attracting. Yeah, it's amazing. So, you know, we put the application out uh, less than a month ago. A month ago. You know, you never know. Will, right. will they come? Who will come? More than 200 applications from all kinds of companies. Legacy providers, leading edge providers, suppliers, packaging, uh, the, in, the overwhelming response. So now we have to get to work. You know, we're going to have more demand for the dollars than we'll have supply, but I couldn't be happier do, with the response. But, but Madam Secretary, I'm interrupting. Yeah. Do we? Uh, do we favor companies that have already spent a lot of money in America, or do we favor companies that spend a lot of money in China or a lot of money in Taiwan? Is there a pecking order? There's no pecking order. We have a mission, right? Okay. I have to invest $50 billion on America's national security. What we're buying for this $50 billion is national security. Enough chips of the right kind and the whole supply chain in the United States. So some of the money will go to, you know, packaging companies, leading edge companies, uh, but it has to be spent in America. And by the way, we've talked about China a lot. If you take our money, you can't expand in China for leading edge, for advanced chips. You know, there's certain guardrails on this. You can't take the money here and then use it to invest in China. But I have talked to the heads of most of the companies of the largest semiconductors. They're all in on that. They feel like that their, that their intellectual property has been stolen for years. They just wanted to have a, a base here, but they couldn't afford it. Will they be able to afford it? Is the money you have enough seed money? Because you know we are considered to be the highest cost producer of semis in the world. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it will be enough. Yes, they'll be able to afford it. And they need to innovate to bring costs down, right? The reality is, if I do my job right, this is a one-time infusion. Right. Five, 10 years from now, they have to innovate to bring the cost of making chips down so they can do it sustainably in America. But yes, yeah. I'm confident this is gonna be a big success. Well, how about uh, th this political movement to say that if you provide things like childcare, it's suddenly the socialization of a business? 
I, I'm trying not to laugh at that. It's <laughs> ridiculous. It is laughable. Feel free to laugh. People said to me, oh, uh, Secretary, you, you, ha you put these strings attached. No one's going to apply. I doubt it. 200, 200 have applied. I mean, isn't that the proof, of the, proof of the pudding? If they all were worried about having to give childcare to people, maybe they wouldn't be implying. That's right. <laughs> it's exactly. By the way, we're not going to tell companies what to do right. or how to run right. their business, but we are going to tell them there's a labor shortage. So you got to get creative with the workforce plan, including women, so you can, so you can win. Right. Okay. So construction starts. Uh, I know companies who are in cement, in, in steel, road. They don't have any employees either. This is what I keep hearing. Yeah. And now we're here. It is going to take a while to train people. But when do you see boots on the ground? When do you see fabs? Uh, very soon. Really? You know, yeah, I do. Look, it's already starting. You're starting to see some of these announcements have already been made. You know, Intel in Ohio, Micron right. in New York. That wouldn't have happened if it weren't for chips. You know, but those are deeply committed American. How about a, a great company like a, an NVIDIA or mm -hmm. an AMD, which have used to be to do it offshore because they, they needed to be price competitive? Yeah. Are I they in? Yes, they're in. They're in. They're in. I've talked to all of them. I've spent time with Apple, NVIDIA, AMD. They know we must be successful for our national security. We cannot be this reliant upon Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And therein. Well, let's talk about national security for a second in a company you just mentioned, Apple. Mm. Commitment being made in India, 1.4 billion people, now a younger nation mm -hmm. and larger nation than mm -hmm. China. Mm -hmm. You've been working with India, mm -hmm. and I know you've been working with Apple. Mm -hmm. What is going to happen the next couple of weeks when they finally open the retail stores? What do you think? I think it'll be exciting. You know, I, I think it's, it's always exciting when a great American brand is loved all over the world. Uh, I hope they're successful. I, I think it'll be exciting. Listen. Why haven't they worn you down? You just said you're excited. Why hasn't everybody worn you down? I mean, you're, you're Why would trying, I be worn down? Because you're trying to accomplish things <laughs> that we've failed at for 50 years. But we're doing it, and that gets me going. You know, we're doing it. We're going to get it done. I wake up every day, charge, charge, charge forward. Uh, there's too much at stake. You can't give up. Now, to people, there are people who say, you know what, we're not going to get the best chips. The best chips are still going to be made in Taiwan. We're going to get the kind that go into a truck, no. not in kind that goes to Mars. Not good. Wrong? Not true. Not true. By the way, we need more of the kind that goes into a truck made in America, true. to be clear, and medical devices and pacemakers and all that. We are going to have the most leading edge, cutting edge chips designed in America, made in America, and packaged in America. We're going to have two or three of those deep ecosystems in America, soup to nuts. And that's what we're out to achieve, and that's what we will make happen. Okay, so Larry Fink, whom I know you know, runs $9 trillion, mm -hmm. a lot of money. <laughs> uh, and he was saying today, it is no longer globalization, it is reshoring. But the question is, how fast can we reshore and what's going to happen when we do it? Uh, are we going to be too expensive? Or most importantly, says it's going to raise the inflation rate because we're an expensive place to do business. True? You know, it's a balance. It is a balance. First of all, it will be more expensive. Isn't it worth it if it secures our national security? I would say it is. Like, not everything is about lowest cost provider. Right. Now, a leading, edge, you know, but that's, a leading edge chip is different than a piece of furniture. Right, right. And, and I think that there are a lot of people who don't realize that there are going to be compromises that have to be made for national security. Choices. Because we went through a long period in this country where there were no enemies. Yeah, no, that's uh, no Cold War. And this is the price of the Cold War, right? But you couldn't do it without your work. Uh, I think that's right. And, you know, listen, there should be global trade 
you know, there should be global trade with China. No one is saying that there shouldn't be, or I wouldn't argue, total deglobalization, right. absence of trade. That isn't, it's not on that extreme. But we have gone too far in search of cheap labor and obsession with efficiency. Right. And we have to have some of our critical supplies and goods made in America. Okay, so let's finish with the concept not of cheap labor, but of great labor. What has been the yeah. reaction yeah. to getting women in business? I understand yeah. we're up to about 7%. Uh, uh, contractors. I don't know. It still seems like that 50-50 would be a great thing to shoot for. Yeah. How are you doing on this? Because it's. I think that there's a cultural uh, lack of imperative for you to win on this, and that can be changed. Yeah. Listen, go talk to the women downstairs. They're thrilled to do it. They want to work. They're talented, and they're going to be great workers. Some people will say, construction's a man's job, yada, yada enough with that. We need the workers. They're willing to work. Train them. Put them to work. Rebuilding America. You going to promise to stay energized? <laughs> oh, yeah. Me? No, yeah. no always. Well, yeah. then I want to thank you, Secretary Gene Reminder, <laughs> Secretary of Commerce. It is always great to see Thanks, you. Thank Jim. you so much. Thank you. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead on the lightning round, kids. I'm gonna start with I'm gonna start with Anthony, New Jersey. Anthony! Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah, Tony Balboni from Delran, New Jersey. Listen, I got a question uh, for you. Lucid Group. Now I bought him last year at about 16 and I thought I was in love with him. But I gotta tell you. Just like the women in my life, I had to chase them. And I chased this one all the way down into the sixes so I could average my cost at 10. Now I'm thinking I should break up with Lucid Group. I mean, they got they got a fast car. They got a, a car that goes fat farther. The problem is... Hey, listen, they Tinder champ. Get the heck out of that one, all right? I'm going to give you a little match, all right? You need to get out of that bumblebee. That stock is a bad stock. It's going lower. Peter Rollins is a great man, okay? He's a great man. But that doesn't make it for a great stock, okay? There. And all that information you gave me, don't worry. We're going to blast it out nationally. Let's go to Tyler in New York. Tyler. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for all you do over there. Uh, you're quite welcome. What's up? Uh, yeah, one quick question. With the movie theater producing solid box office numbers, wanted to get your take on the AMC and H split conversion. They have too much, I'll tell you, they, keep, they have too much dilution. I know Adam Aaron saved the company, and, and that's terrific, but I can't recommend the stock. Let's go to Scott in Massachusetts. Scott! Booyah, Jim. My kids Booyah. and I are longtime followers of your show. We love it. Thank My you. My stock tonight is Getty Images. The symbol is G-E-T-Y. Okay, this is a SPAC. It's very hard to understand. It's actually a profitable company. And I would tell you, I typically don't endorse SPACs, but this was mentioned very positively on the NVIDIA conference call as something that is be, they're using a lot of AI with. So I'm going to say, as a spec, I'm going to bless it. Let's go to Thomas in Louisiana. Thomas. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Thank you so much, man. Love your show. Thank you, my, buddy. What's up? Yes, sir. My question is about BIPC. Oh, Brookfield okay. Infrastructure this, Corporation. 
This company made an acquisition this very week, okay? They bought this company that is a, uh, it's a freight container company, and it, they stole it. Why didn't steal? You know, I'm just saying that they bought it for a great price. I'm recommending the stock right here. Probably do have to do a further piece on it. It's so interesting. Bobby in California. Bobby. Bobby, speak to me. Yes. Yeah, I can hear speak you. Speak to me, Bobby. Yeah, that's Bobby right in here. All right. You got Kramer? Yes. Okay, yeah, Jim. Uh, well, this is the first time and nice uh, to be with, talking with you. And I have Same. a question about the AMD. Okay, AMD, look, I, I've owned AMD forever for the trust. Now, candidly, I don't think it's going to be necessarily a big quarter because I don't think the data center is that good. I think troughing in uh, PCs, I do think gaming is going to be okay, but I don't think it's going to be a blowout quarter, and I'm not sure how the quarter... I was going over this with Jeff Marks today. We're not sure about how great the quarter is going to be, but we happen to like management, and we like, the, we like the semis. I need to go to Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer, my mad Boston Whaler owner and Grady White envy friend, how are you? Well, so good, Dave, and how have you been? I've been well. I've been better on days like today, but uh, that's how it goes. Yeah, Jim, what we hang in together, Dave, you know that. Yeah, with your help. Jim, five months ago in the lightning round, you said, stay with Vertex Pharma. So, Jim, are we still staying? BRTX. Dave, listen to me. Even here at its all-time high, I believe I know it's 50-week high, I like Vertex very much. You got a winner there. I always appreciate your call. Jimmy Chill appreciates your call. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes other Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, time for a deep breath on banking. What to watch for now that the SVB crisis has turned a corner? Next. This morning we got some tremendous numbers from the major money center banks. The takeaway? The center held. There was no national collapse, no system-wide financial crisis. The strong simply got stronger, and the system surprised everyone with its resilience. Yep, that's the whole mini-banking crisis in a nutshell. The collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate Bank, and Signature Bank now seems more like a minor kerfuffle than a near-death experience. Just like I've been saying all along, the giant banks, especially the bank that would be king, J.P. Morgan, turned out to be huge beneficiaries from that wave of bank runs among the worst regionals which got hurt. In the end, we had two weeks of pain, and then we got over it. I think the whole thing was explained well this morning during my interview with Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, which runs $9 trillion in assets. Fink made it clear that the financial system was much stronger than we thought it was going. going. We also, he gave it a lot more credit than people realized, certainly strong enough that it barely got dinged by the collapse of those three near-to-well institutions. And the core problem, deposit flight, was much easier to handle, of course, than the credit crisis of 2008. Fink explained that these failed firms simply had some bad risk controls and invested incorrectly putting their money in low-yielding mortgage bank, bank bonds that they're now very underwater on. It was all a predictable consequence of the Fed's rapid rate hikes after having such huge deposits put in all at one time. Talking to Fake made me realize that while the loss of these three banks was shocking, the American consumer is so strong and the rest of our bank system is so powerful that what seemed like a body blow to the economy actually did very little damage. 
Of course, I still feel like that explanation could be somewhat premature. We've only seen results from the biggest and best banks so far. The banks that benefit as people move their deposits to the safest institutions. Next week, we'll hear from the smaller regional banks that I think are market share donors to the big guys we heard from today. There will definitely be a reduction in credit in the country, not a severe contraction, but a decline that will hit the brakes on the economy somewhat, just not hard enough to prevent the Fed from hitting us with another quarter point rate hike. The post-mini banking crisis comeback has been too robust, surprisingly so, and the negative follow-through almost non-existent, at least so far. Personally, I did think there'd be more bank failures. So many regional banks have a major mismatch with their bond portfolios that I figured there could be a domino effect. But the Fed came up with a novel way for banks to avoid losses in those portfolios. And so far, nobody else is going under. Sure, there was a pullout of capital from the smaller banks that went to outfits like J.P. Morgan, as well as big money market funds like the ones run by BlackRock. However, it seems like that may have been it. Of course, if the mini crisis is truly over, that means no more major bankruptcies, right? No more spike in small and regional bank companies. Uh, No decline in consumer sentiment, as we saw from today's very strong reading. And alas, no cessation to the Fed's rate hikes until they beat wage, housing and food inflation, which they have not. In other words, the Silicon Valley bank imbroglio was harsh while it lasted. But as frightening as it seemed, it now looks like it failed to do enough damage to change the Fed's course of action. Honestly, maybe that is for the best. I'd rather have a gentle grind of a slowdown from quarter-point rate hikes than see the economy crash headfirst into a retaining wall thanks to a financial crisis. Yes, indeed, we dodged a bullet here. But that just means the Fed's going to have to keep leading us with higher rates until the economy finally cools down and inflation says goodbye. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mint Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Last call starts now. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 